Father in heaven, thank you for this gathering of, of people, and may you join us, and may we have a, a wonderful uh, service here. Amen. Thank you, Fred. So welcome. If you'd like, it's up to you, man. It's, it's, it's up to you. Well, I'm going to show a video in a moment, so it's up to you. It's going to be this way. Yeah. You are a dad. You have eyes in your ears. you got eyes in your ears, too, don't you? Mm-hmm. So today uh, we are going to be, we, you know, we're going to be looking a little more at the book of Esther. Oh, is anyone? There are no notes, by the way. No notes today. No notes. This is a hot off the press uh, study. So we're going to look at Esther a bit. And traditionally, you know, the book is read, and we, you know, we we're not going to read it from cover to cover. But I'm going to sort of do a little bit of a shotgun style, I think, and uh, see where where this takes us, and um, we'll go from there. Something that I was thinking about today is that. The book of Esther, I think, is a good book to help us acquire. We talk about in the membership class about having a Jewish heart. Any of those, any of people who've gone through the membership know that we talk about it. What does it mean to have a Jewish heart? And that's one of uh, the questions we ask you to consider and answer. Not that there's necessarily a right or wrong answer there, but just consider what does that mean to have a Jewish heart? And I was thinking today, I think that the book of Esther uh, helps us to get to acquire not a Jewish heart, but I would say a Jewish mind, a Jewish mindset, and which is actually pretty pretty important. And it's not so much important so you can be part of a Messianic congregation necessarily, but in terms of understanding Jewish people and, quite frankly, understanding the Bible in a lot of cases, um, I believe that this book is really good to help you get a Jewish mindset. And so I, I do have a video I want to show you that, you know, no illustrations are perfect. It's a clip from a movie. A movie written by the Cohen brothers, if you know the Cohen brothers. Um, they write all kinds of quirky movies. And when I saw this clip years ago, you know, the rest of the movie, it's whatever. It's called A Serious Man is the name of the movie, if you're familiar with it. But um, to me, I want you to watch it. And to me, it really is, is a, a big part of kind of what it means to have a Jewish mindset. So, Floyd, if you, if you can hit the lights there. And then over here. You can also go here, Floyd. Just give me the sound. I can watch the sound. A serious mind by the Cohen brothers. Serious man. Serious man. Serious man. So if you're ready, this is a scene where this gentleman here, you see he is uh, having a lot of trouble in his his life here. He's with his wife, and he seems to be losing his wife. He seems to be having trouble with his job. And he goes to see the rabbi. And so the rabbi is the guy who who he's speaking with. So here's some Jewish mindset for you. I'm his. Hashem trying to tell me that Cy Abelman is me? Or that we are all one or something? How does God speak to us? A good question. You know Lee Sussman. Dr. Sussman? I think I, yeah. Did he ever tell you about the goy's teeth? No. Uh, what goy? So, Lee is at work one day. You know he has the orthodontic practice there. Great bear. He's making a plaster mold. It's for corrective bridge work in the mouth of one of his patients, Russell Krauss. The mold dries, and Lee is examining it one day before fabricating it. He noticed. 
silence is something unusual. There appears to be something engraved on the inside of the patient's lower incisors.
What happened to Sussman? What would happen? Not much. He went back to work. For a while, he checked every patient's teeth for new messages. He didn't find any. In time, he found he stopped checking. He returned to life. These questions that are, that are bothering you, Larry, maybe they're like a toothache. Feel them for a while, then they go away. I don't want it to just go away. I want an answer. Sure. We all want the answer. Hashem doesn't owe us the answer, Larry. Hashem doesn't owe us anything. The obligation runs the other way. Why does he make us feel the questions if he's not going to give us any answers? He hasn't told me. What happened to the goy? The goy? Who cares? Sai <laughs> Abel. Who cares? Uh, oh, that's so. terrible. <laughs> so, so, so. I don't know what you think about that. When I saw that, you know, I, I think the reason it's, it, I think it's it's a part of the Jewish mindset. It's not just the Jewish mindset. Does anyone have any thoughts about that before I give my opinion? By well, the, way? the only thing I think is, you know, okay, is that desire to know. You, I mean, that that's part of the Jewish mindset. I want to know. I want to figure this out. Mm -hmm. I mean, and. So I think that's really a part of it. Mm -hmm. And also, I think that, well, that that's mainly. Also, you know, the rabbi saying, you know, I don't know, I like the way he, he said, should we have questions? Should we, you know, all those things. Is it okay to ask the question? Should we have questions? Well, you know, just really trying to come to grips with something, mm -hmm. trying to understand. I think that's part of the Jewish mindset. Okay. But that doesn't always, I mean, that's me for mm -hmm. sure. I just always want to know. Try to <laughs> <laughs> I'm always trying to figure stuff out. Sure. And, you know, there must be something behind this, I'm sure. And uh -huh. how could it be so simple as, uh, you know. So anyway, that's what I think. That was the main thing I got from there. Okay. Any anyone else have any, any thoughts about it or did it make you think of anything particular? Don't bother asking your rabbi. <laughs> 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 well, rabbi, why did I look down at my pants and suddenly found this organic That's sticker right. on there? It came out of nowhere. So so for me, what the reason that this stood out to me and and I, I uh, it really stood out to me in my time at seminary because you know the reason it's not to me, again, it's not a perfect illustration necessarily, but quite often I think we are always wanting, we want to figure everything out, whether it be, you know, specifically like theological questions, uh, eschatology, what exactly is going to happen in this particular sequence at the end of times, and what does this mean, and what does that mean? And there's a word that I think um, we really don't like. Neurotic. Uh, no, the word is tension. Quite frankly, if you, read, if you study, the, it's like almost the more you study, Scripture. The more you try to figure things out, um, 
there's a what they call uh, when I was in seminary. It's usually usually the answer you're, you're you're given an assignment like figure out what who hardened Pharaoh's heart, for example, in the Book of Exodus, or what do the to- what do tongues mean in Acts two? What exactly is that all about? Or who are the twenty four elders in in in, in, in the Book of you know, First Third John or something? And it's like you dig and you dig and you dig and you dig, and often you come up with a a both and. It's this and this, or it's not just this or this. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Did, did, did Pharaoh harden his own heart? Yes. Did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Yes. But quite often we don't want to come up with that answer that puts things in intention. And so that's why I think that this is where this clip kind of helps me. It's like, is it good? You know, we don't have all the answers, and we want to figure out all the answers all the time. And a, a big part of a Jewish mindset, and uh, I'm not saying it's exclusive <laughs> to the Jews, it's just the clip work that I do think it is actually. Uh, Rabbi Chaim had us read a book. In, in one of his first, I think his second class that we had with him, and it was called Not in Heaven by a guy named Eliezer Berkowitz, and most of the class hated the book because the book would come up with these kind of, you know, this and this are both the word of God. In other words, this is the interpretation that these, you know, eight rabbis over here to my right have decided and concluded together that that's the, the correct interpretation, but Rabbi Len and Rabbi Don over here, they've decided that that's the interpretation. We believe this is the interpretation. But you know what? We're going to write this one down too because you know what? We might change our mind one day. And maybe that will go with this interpretation. So the point is we don't, we don't like that kind of stuff. That we don't like that kind of tension. And the book of Esther, I believe, um, is a book that can, can create some tension primarily because of the, 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 the issue, you know, is God involved? Did God do this? You know, we, we talked a little bit about that on Shabbat, but that's one of the biggest questions, and one of the one of the, um, the arguments about the book of Esther is, you know, really, should it be in the canon of Scripture, number one? And if so, you know, or if not, why? And usually the reason is because, well, God, you know, God's not mentioned in there. And, and on the one hand, you know, it says that, that there was, you know, please go go fast, you know, and Esther fasted, Mordecai fasted, and we make the assumption they fasted and prayed, but that's not what it says. And so that's just one example. But the idea of God not being in there, um, I think, bothers us. This is just one thing. It's not just the book of Esther, but we're talking about the book. Um, and we can look at all the, the reversals in the book and the idea of help coming from another place and all this stuff, and we want to say... It's definitely God, but I think there's there's definitely there's ambiguity because in the Hebrew it's not it's not there in the, in the older in, in the those oldest manuscripts it's not there, um, it's not in Qumran either, but um, well, David, it's it's crystal clear. Yes, God is there. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think. I mean, to me, this it is, is. So this is Rabbi Diane's opinion. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll take this as the majority opinion, which I, I agree. I, with I really didn't think that until you know you read it last week, and then all of a sudden I just like was putting everything together mm-hmm. and I thought gosh this is crystal clear clear and of course what am I basing it on my own opinion mm-hmm. I mean my own experience too because it talks about I think if I remember right maybe I don't remember the scripture right you could tell me if I don't but doesn't um, Mordecai um, put on sackcloth and, and, and ashes and he's mourning and he's grieving and I always thought that there was prayer involved yes. with that it's another one to it's, put on the side of. There's another one to put on the side of. Boy, it sure seems like God and this guy's religious and but, so forth. You know, and and well, it's not so much religious. It's like not worrying about the religious part. I'm thinking this is a time when you hear from God, and then and then Esther says also um, tell everybody to fast and 
pray. She does not. Does she doesn't? She just no, says that's, fast? That, that's the point. No, she says, tell them to fast. Well, I just don't... I, I Fasting and prayer go together. Amen? I mean, again, so we're, 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 we're talking... I mean, this is not to, to argue the points, but the, I mean, the point is, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't say it. It doesn't say but, it. But it's crystal clear. How are you going to get through three days of fasting without praying, number one? Uh, Gandhi did a lot more than that. Oh, my and God. And he prayed, you know... Do you have a question? You're, well, oh. I was just thinking... Um, what happens in the book and how, uh, what we know of Israelite and Jewish history mm-hmm. that whenever the Jewish people are delivered, it can right. only be God. So whether the name is there or not, right. um, it, it corresponds to so many other events mm-hmm. in Jewish history. Yeah. And where are you going to get the courage to do that kind of thing so, oh. if, if God doesn't fill you somehow? So hopefully I'll wrap, we'll wrap up uh, some, some concluding statements I have. We'll wrap up kind of these, these ideas. But I guess I wanted to be aware. I'm not necessarily arguing for the fact that God's not in the book. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. He's not listed in the book. And these are some. Of, and this is one of the, you'll come across some things about that. I'm going to read a, a few quotes from people. And you can, as Chaim says, you can eat the fruit, spit out the seeds. I don't know if you ever heard him say that kind of thing. But you can eat the fruit and spit out the seeds here. Uh, and so what I'm going to read right now is not is not uh, my writing, just so you know, not what I'm saying. Um, but um, this is someone. This is a this is an author that's talking about the author of Esther that we don't necessarily know who the author, the biblical author is per se. So they say by refusing to exclude either possibility, meaning the possibility that God is involved in orchestrating all these things, and the possibility that God is not orchestrating all these things, um, by refusing to exclude either possibility. The author of the book conveys their belief that there can be no definitive knowledge of the workings of God's hand in history. Not even a wonderful deliverance can prove that God was directing events, nor could threat and disaster prove his absence. You understand? It's like we, in other words, when we say, God is great, God is great, we usually tend to say that when things are wonderful. But if things aren't wonderful, we don't want to say, well, God's not great or God's not there. Okay? So that's what they're saying there. The story's um, ambiguity, or it's indeterminacy, uh, conveys the message that the Jews should not lose faith if they too are uncertain about where God is in a crisis. Israel will survive. That's the author's faith. But how this will happen, he or she does not know. Events are ambiguous, and God's activity cannot be directly read out of them, yet they are not random. So again, we've got this, I'm reading tension, okay? Um, There is tendency to equate religious uncertainty, okay, religious uncertainty, and we all, we have to be certain of everything, there's certain things we're certain of, but sometimes we're not completely (laughs) certain. But there's a tendency to equate religious uncertainty um, with a stance of skepticism and to view doubt as a willed repudiation uh, or a willed denial of belief. But the question, quote, who knows? does not foreclose options. It may express an attitude of faith as well as doubt. If anything is excluded, it is disbelief. The author of Esther wishes us to hold the faith even when lacking certitude and an understanding of details. To act in such circumstances demands special courage, but the demand is not a rare one. Many people are called upon to act on a faith that is hope Sometimes, sometimes hope more than conviction. Um, let's see if I want to keep going. I'll finish the last sentence. So uh, when, we, 
When we scrutinize the text of Esther for traces of God's activity, we're doing what the author made us do. The author would have us probe the events we witness in our own lives in the same way. The author is teaching a theology of possibility, the willingness to face history with an openness to the possibility of providence, even when history seems to weigh against its likelihood, as it did in the dark days after the issuance of Haman's decree. Okay? So that's a little something for you. But again, yeah, well, there's lots of pieces of evidence of God, and I'll probably talk about some of those as we go along. But any any uh, thoughts about about that that statement or plenty? Okay. I I just feel like okay. One thing I heard, and I truly believe this. I bought into this hook, line, and sinker is courage is um, fear that said its prayers. Now we can't look. You know, I think sometimes with Esther we downplay it, mm-hmm. but this is serious business. I mean, just imagine if you go in and see Haim and he hasn't invited you, you could lose your life. Mm-hmm. Just Esther, same thing. If I go in un, uninvited to the king, I could lose my life. That is, I won't be here after that. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you can't do something like that fearlessly, nonchalantly. Let's see, pencil in, get my nails done, get my hair done. So if the king offs me, I'll look nice in my casket. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you just—it can't be something that you just. Oh well, another day at the office. So. No, circumstances. Circumstances tend to dictate what we're willing to do and what not, we're not willing to do. So anyone, I, anyone, you willing to jump out this window right now? No, not until I've said my prayers at least and got. Forget your like prayers. God wants me Forget to. your prayers for a minute. <laughs> God you, are loves you, will, are you willing to jump out right now? Well, right I'd now. To, I'd have to jump out with knowing that that's what I was supposed to do. No thought. No thought. We jump out right now. So there's a no. fire now, and the only way out is that way. All of a sudden, all, all these I contemplations and all this prayer and all this—that's sort of. All well, first, of a I'm going to have to make my way through that window. Oh, you won't, so that won't even be a thought. That won't be a thought. My point is, sometimes you know, circumstances definitely dictate. Uh, and again, this is not to say we're faithless, but certainly circumstances dictate when things, you know, it's something you wouldn't do before you would do, and it's not so much. I would only do it if, if the certain, you know, if, if the, the, the the God was telling me and so forth. I think you know there are times like that. I, you know, I remember watching Schindler's List. You know, the last thing I'm thinking about, no matter how angry I get with my kids, is taking them taking them next door to the neighbor's house and saying, "Here, you raise them." But that certainly happened when the time was right. All of a sudden, something I never would have even contemplated became a real reality. If you you know in that situation where you know, what what would be the case? So circumstances certainly change. Certainly change uh, what we're willing to do and so forth. Um, but the story of Purim, of all the other things, I want us to remember that it is one another one of those very um, what I call thin threads of the Bible that that continue on the line. Uh, of the Jewish people, the Messiah, that he wouldn't even exist. I mean, who I was talking to some, someone about this, I can't remember. He was a, a, a Christian guy, and we are talking about the Bible. And the truth is, the book of Esther, no one's really thinking about it in that sense, I think. You know, that this is, an, this, is, this, is, this, this is directly related to the Messiah, if you look at it that way, in that sense of this being a very thin thread um, of Scripture, of preservation. So that alone, and maybe I did say that on Shabbat, that alone would tell me that this is God's hand, because this is part of his plan to preserve, you know, to preserve the, the line of the Messiah. One of the best things I think about Scripture, though, is that we don't know everything. Yeah. And I think that's actually a good thing because it, first of all, keeps us desiring, keeps us seeking after the Lord. But it also it also helps us to um, when we when we do find things that are revealed to us, those great mysteries, and we can understand them better. I think we have a different appreciation for them. I also think 
that it teaches us to be risk takers. I believe this is what I should do. I need the support of my community. It does seem kind of sketchy here, but you but you step out in faith because that's what she had to do. Esther did. I mean, to me, it's clear. It also reminds me to pray, to pray. And, it, you know, you, you can't be sure of an outcome until after it's history. But to me, it's, it's just a perfect picture of... Stepping out in faith, and, and faith to me that's that big, where you're going to go into somebody, into something, and they might kill you, mm-hmm. um, kind of thing. You're willing to take that chance. Uh, I think that just just shows me that mm-hmm. you know, that uh, uh, shows me of times when I've stepped out mm-hmm. and just said, "Okay, God, I don't really know what." the ramifications of all this are going to be, but I believe you're with me, and I believe that this is, you're guiding me, and I'm mm-hmm. going to do it. And that's, yeah. so that's what, that's what I get from this. Okay. Well, I may, as, as we go through this, I may do a little more just sort of, what I would say, shotgunning, just some, some diff, random, more random stuff here and there. Um, one of the, um, one thing I wanted to point out that, and I'm not sure, this may be re- reviewed for a lot of people, and maybe not for other for others of you, um, one of the um, one of the things, if you look in chapter three, that, as far as Haman's background, this, and this is disputed, just so you know, I th- I, I tend to to, to agree uh, with regard to Haman's background and kind of because again, one of the other points is well, when when Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman, was it because is this is this you know him saying I'm a Jew, I'm monothe- I'm a monotheist, and I'm not b- b- bowing down to you for that reason. And again, some people say, yeah, absolutely, that, that's the whole point. Well, he had to tell people he was Jew. It may or may not have been very obvious. You know, Haim was dressed very Jewishly the other day in his Mordecai <coughs> costume. But I'm not so sure that that was the, um, the people were so easily identifiable at that point. But in, um, in chapter 3, it talks about Haman, and it says that he is the son of Hamadatha the Agagite. Okay? So... And this is where people will argue this, but I, I think it's I think it's pretty clear because of the way the story progresses and something else I'll get to here. Also, is that that Haman was in fact a descendant of Agag, and most people here probably know who who that is, um, the enemy of the Jews from Saul from uh, Samuel chapter 15, 1 Samuel chapter fifteen, where where Saul was um, ordered to completely kill this word that's so easily uh, translatable uh, to Haram uh, everybody. Um, at the and time, and put under it. the bed. What's that? And, and he didn't do it. Um, he wasn't supposed to keep the people or the plunder, but he didn't do it. He killed some, uh, but not all. And he left. He left Agag, and he left some of the, the stuff as well. Samuel came along, killing Agag. But that is the moment when the king dumb was taken away from. So, uh, Diane, what are you <laughs> who are, who is Agag? I mean, where, what modern day? What where are they from? I mean, in time, you know, fast mm. forward to today. Who are they today? What do they call? What name do they call themselves by now? I don't necessarily know. Do you happen to know? Do they still exist? Yeah. Do they exist? They well, burn. That's a question. Yeah. You know? yeah. A, yeah. I don't know. I suspect not that the Agagites of that of twenty five hundred years ago. Uh, you know. Well, I, I I don't know. I thought maybe did they did they like reinvent themselves and become Syrians or you know I don't, I don't know. Um, for, for the for the relevance of this story, though, when you're talking about the time period from from Samuel to to here in, in Esther, um, 
again, I think it's I think it's 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 pertinent. It's relevant there if we consider that that Haman was a descendant of Agag, and then you've got Mordecai, uh, who is actually a descendant of Saul. Um, so so when Haman, you know, I think so so again, did Haman not bow down? I mean, did Mordecai not bow down because he was a monotheist and everyone knew he was a Jew, and that's the reason? Or did he not bow down um, because of the family history here? I think, did he know? <laughs> well, I think the, this is where I'm getting. I think the answer. So again, why did he not bow down? Was it just because I'm, a, I'm I believe in one God and the Shema and and I'm living in this this Jewish lifestyle and walking to synagogue here in Persia, or was it because of the the the, fam, the family history? And and my answer, I think, my my opinion again, do we know with certainty? There's tension. Yeah. Not about you know what I mean. This is why I started with the video. Uh, the uh, I think it's an answer of, of both, probably both. You know what I mean? That it's a little bit of yes tension. That's a picture of tension um, that that we see there. Um, See, I don't, I don't necessarily know that, Diane, I don't, and I don't think we can know with any kind of certainty, for sure. But that is, that is again, another picture. I think you've got a, this continuous thread, and if I were to fast forward to the end, multiple times towards the end of, um, of the book of Esther, when the Jews did kind of overcome their enemies and so forth, they, it's very specific that it says they did not take the spoil, they did not take the plunder. They did not take the spoil. I think it says about three times there in chapter like 9 and 10 or 8, 9 and 10. And it wasn't because they weren't allowed to. In fact, the, the decree against the Jews was exactly that. And it's rumored, well, how could Haman have promised all this money into the king's treasury and so forth? Well, duh, he was going to kill the Jews and take their stuff. Um, and then the opposite was the case when the reverse uh, edict was issued for the Jews to be able to protect themselves that not only could they protect themselves and go after those who were against them, but they also could take, they could plunder them, men, women, and children, and stuff. And it specifically says multiple times, or if I underlined it or not, um, that, they, yeah, in fact, in chapter 9, it says that uh, they, this right if they killed the ten sons of Haman. It says the, en- the enemy of the Jews, the ten sons of Haman, but they did not touch the plunder. And you've got a little further in chapter 9, verse 15. It says, the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 14th day of the month of Adar, and they killed 300 persons in Susa. But they did not touch the plunder. I'm sure that's disjunctive syntax, I'm guessing, right there. Trade, And then you've got uh, the next verse in 16. Now the, other, I'm sorry, uh, now the other Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and gained relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them. But... They did not lay hands on the plunder. Um, that may be the last one. So again, you've got that. You got that three times repeated. I think very, very clear. Um, I think it's a, co- a connection. Again, another connection with a, with with the, the, the biblical record. Um, let's see here. Well, why didn't they take the plunder? What did the rabbis say? You're asking a great question. Now, what the rabbis say, I don't know. I haven't studied the, the rabbinic oh, text. But but what I'm what I'm what I think from a, from a scriptural standpoint, I'm going to say. That they made their their the whole idea of Mordecai not bowing down is sort of making up for history. I mean, is it, is it said there? No, seems pretty pretty uh, makes a lot of that can make a lot of sense. And for the same reason that you know back then we messed up, we didn't kill Agag, and we did take the plunder we weren't supposed to. We're not going to touch the plunder here. You know, there could be other explanations for them. Believe me, the rabbis have explanations for everything. <laughs> they've got they've got an explanation why there's you know. A letter that's used. You know, why is it an aleph, not an ayin, or something? Believe me, they'll explain why it is, and be sure. And some, and some will be more like this guy. We don't know. 
The NIV footnote is, is uh, confirms exactly what you just said. Oh, does it? Okay, so yeah, there you go. The NIV, Rabbi yeah, yeah, yeah. NIV agrees. Rabbi NIV agrees, that's wonderful. <laughs> so let's talk for a minute, I want to talk for a minute about this idea of um, being in the right place at the right time. This is from chapter 4. When uh, You don't think so? She wasn't in the right place at the right time? Well, I, yeah, I do believe. I, I believe that it was... It was, to me, it was just God. It kind of like happened that way. I don't think it was by chance. I don't, I just think that. Now we're talking about Esther being in the position she was in. I believe, yeah, I believe Mordecai's words. Maybe this, he's just saying, hey, just saying, maybe this happened for such a time as this. So on the one hand, we've got. to glorify you. On the one hand, we've got one of the first amazing coincidences that out of all of the, 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 the young maidens, right, yeah. that Esther was chosen. Yeah. First, That's one of the first coincidences. Yeah. Then she, so she's, from that little thread, yeah. right, she becomes queen, and she's been queen for four years at this oh. point. Yeah. Oh. The point that, that she has to go into the king. Um, so on the one hand, yes. And when she goes into the king, remember, I mentioned a little bit of this on, on Shabbat, I believe I did, that she doesn't, she fasts, so she's not saying, well, I better look as good as I can and be all ready for this, this event. In fact, she's fasting for three days. Yeah. I've never fasted for three days. I've fasted before, and you know, after, <laughs> even after half a day, you're not all that pleasant. And maybe and certainly after a day, you might be snapping. Uh, after three days, you know, again, I can only imagine. Some of you may know what that's like. I've heard it gets easier after the first 24 hours. But the point is, in the physical, she wasn't necessarily looking her best or trying to look her best. However, she did get dressed up in her robes. I mentioned that, right? She did think out a plan. She didn't just, you know, say, I'm just going to go in there and then if he, you know, if he lays the scepter down, I'm just going to just blab it all out. No, please help him. No, she had a plan. It was protracted over that. Did she continue to fast? Did she eat at the luncheon? Did she eat at the next luncheon? I don't necessarily know. I don't believe it says that, that whether we know that. She could have been fasting for five days by the time she, you know, brought the, the message to the king. The point I'm trying to make is that she was. She was. She had been. God, I think, did put her in, in in that position. She'd been there for four years. She put on her 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 queenly robes, right? She didn't just put on some old sweatpants, right? She walked in in the authority that she'd had, and she wasn't like she just had been queen for a day, you know. Um, things take time. She'd been doing whatever whatever she was doing. She had done it for she had done it for four years, so she had a little bit of authority behind her in that respect, um, and so. So when we talk about being in the right place at the right time, I think often we think, man, it was just, you know, um, it's like I was delayed in traffic, and that got me at the grocery store just in time to find a front row parking spot. You know, we think that kind of stuff. You know, or I found a $20 bill on the ground, I mean, just the right place at the right time, and something happened. Or I, I was at Chick-fil-A one time, I remember, and the, we were there, and and guy came around and was giving out free milkshakes. So, man, it was the right place at the right time. You know, that's, I think, what we tend to think about, the right place at the right time. And there's a little bit of yes and no. The yes part of things is God puts us in the right place at the right time. The part that I think we overlook sometimes is, man, it's all God. He just put us, he put me here, and he's going to have to do this and that. And I think we overlook the fact that we need to uh, develop our skills, <laughs> if you will. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. it's interesting that you say that because um, the Torah in a sense, does not recommend, it did not recommend that um, Jews would marry within Gentiles, with Gentiles, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so, 
<clears throat> I mean, it's it's interesting that Mordecai chooses to give Esther to a Persian king. You know, if if he's as Torah observant as we think, or as as godly as we think, we don't know the circumstances that motivated him to include Esther in going. Well, into let me let me give you a little insight on that, Mike, because it's it's good, that, it's great that you brought that up because he's definitely. They're and I'm a, just saying, in the right place at the right time, how that kind of plays out. It, you know, is Mordecai here in sin in doing that? Okay. Or, you know. Right. In fact, uh, let's see here. It's, uh, let me see where we are here. It's chapter 2. I yeah, think. and I'm looking here. Um, this thing is right after verse 5. So in the king's order, and either... And, so you've got, and I'm not sure what it says in the Hebrew. I'm sure, Len, you could tell me what the, if the Hebrew says there. But... The big picture here is what Michael, what you're saying, Michael, is well taken because the truth is, were they living in quote sin? There's no way they were living in accordance with the Torah, uh, explicitly in, in Persian. In this situation, you've got I think the whole situation was honored. God protected the line. Uh, God I think put her in this place completely against what would be accepted in the, in the Torah. I don't believe Mordecai gave her like I'll offer Esther. It says it says when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, this is the edict and the order to gather up the you know the, the maidens in the land. This is chapter two, verse eight. It says, And when he, when when many young women were gathered in the citadel of Susa in custody of Hegai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace. And I don't know what the Hebrew is there but my guess is there wasn't much choice that, that yeah, they had living, living in Susa. I believe it's just take care of everybody. Yeah, and so you've got, you've got maybe up to that point she was living, I mean, obviously living as a virgin. I'm sure that that is the way of the land, and that is the way it should be. But when you're talking now, she goes into the king's palace, and then it's pretty clear what, you know, what happened there. You know, when it was each girl's turn, it says she went in at nighttime, she could take what she wanted, she returned in the morning. I doubt they played Scrabble all night. You know what I mean? Um, so I think it's pretty clear why he liked her in a lot of ways, and maybe not the only reason, but I think it's pretty clear that she was part of a harem. Um, she hadn't seen him for 30 days, right, when she went into... I mean, as a father with two daughters, I would not. Oh, you wouldn't want to, but I still I don't believe there was much choice. Not much of a choice. No, I don't believe there was much choice in the situation. Uh, so they weren't living a, a righteous lifestyle, so to speak, according to, to, to Torah. Um, and even though she was the king's king's wife, again... When she, had, when she ended up going in to see him, she says, he hasn't even called me for 30 days. Now, this is being recorded, but, I, you know, I, listen, you know, I, I'm not, 30 days is a while. You know what I mean? Um, and, and, if, and if he didn't want to see his wife in 30 days, he's either on his deathbed or he had some other entertainment of some kind uh, to keep, keep him occupied. And so he had a hair. I mean, these girls, you know, so the point is, yeah, things weren't necessarily according to Torah, uh, in in this in this situation, so on the one hand you got you're in the. Uh, am I saying to for us to be, you know, to synchronize with society and no we are we are, we are to assimilate right we are we are we are called to separated living. There's no there's no question about that. But this is about what 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 God can do and specifically, I'm, I'm talking about being in the right place at the right time and what does that what does that mean? Um, was Esther complicit? What could she have done when she got gathered up? She could have fought from the beginning. I'm not going to the king's palace, all this kind of stuff, but I believe God honored, and this was all part of his plan. And again, that's another hard one for us to get our minds around, because, boy, it doesn't seem like it's right. It doesn't seem right. I, mean, this is I think you know, though. That's what I keep trying to get across, and I don't think I can. I think that, I think that somehow you know. Either you get, you feel like, yeah, this is something I should do, and that's spiritually led, or you feel like, hmm, no. 
I think in the case of Esther, again, there's a lot that's not written here. But I think in the case of Esther, um, my, the way I read it is that she was she was living. You know, I said it. I said this on Shabbat that she was living a good life. Things were going well. She had everything provided for her. She's living in the king's palace. She had servants herself. Uh, she wasn't hurting for anything. No. Why? And she didn't want to. She didn't want to risk the, any of that. Certainly for her life. I and mean, she thought, why? Why? Why risk a good thing? But but again, I do think that she was acting in her role as queen. She had the robes and she did things properly. And uh, certainly, <clears throat> the king recognized her as such. When you read um, chapter five and verse three, this is after Esther comes in. He doesn't say, "Oh, Esther, what's up, babe? How you doing? You know, what's up, Esty Poo? You know, he doesn't say that. In fact, the Hebrew here says, uh, literally, what it says, what is to you? Like what?" What is to you, um, Esther, the queen? You know, Malacha Esther Hamalcha is what it says. Very, very, very deliberate. This is this is chapter five, in verse three. Because that's exactly what it says. What what is it, Esther the queen? So it wasn't like just his, you know, hey baby, what's going on? How are you and honey and so forth. He recognized her as queen. There was something there. Was it the robes? Was it the way she came in? Was it that she knew? because she had been in this role for four years, what this meant to go in and how she was to do it and where she was to place herself and all these things. She, she, she had been the queen again for four years. And, and, my, and my point for making, making a kind of parking here for a moment is that idea of does God have his hand on us at all times? Is he sovereign? Does he, does he gift us? Does he put us in the right place at the right time? I believe he absolutely does. But I, my encouragement or my application here, if you will, is to not overlook our part in it, our part in being ready and prepared and, again, developing our, our skills in a sense and not just necessarily relying on the fact that, well, when, when, when the time comes, God will see me through yes and no. Uh, we were praying about it earlier. Uh, we can see a slight difference between the idea of, of a blessing and a miracle, okay? And, and I don't want to get too much into this, but I think the idea that Blessed is the person that walks with God and so forth. The ashray, right? Ashray ha'am. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the council, who walks with God. There's an idea of being blessed, and I think all of us want to be blessed. I believe all of us should have that as our goal, to be blessed. Do we want to experience miracles in our life? I think yes as well. But miracles are are more of the kind of punctuated things, you know. You're in desperation in a situation like this, and a miracle seems to happen. Or, you know, you're, you're driving somewhere and you, and, and you, you know, there's a flock of cows, or not a flock of cows, something on the road, whatever you call a flock, is a herd of cows, <laughs> a flock of geese on the, in the pasture. Boy, the farmer's laughing at me. And somehow, you miraculously, somehow miraculously, the, the herd of cows parts and you drive through somehow, or you, who knows? These are miracles. We have miracles happen, and they're great. But we want to be blessed. We want to walk in God's blessing. And so... That's, that's part of the idea of walking in God's blessing, I think, is the fact that we, that we hone our skills, that we recognize what God's given us. These places in the right place at the right time quite often. But there is a part that we have as believers. We, have people, we are people who have been sent to do a job. Everything we say is under the authority of the one who sent us. Um, we, recognize, we recognize that you know, there are uncertainties. We recognize that there are things that we need to do and skills that we need to develop and not, not to overlook. Okay. Any thoughts on that real quick before I move on to the next topic?
Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I just, I just don't see why. <laughs> yeah, it's like this. Yeah, you know, I mean, to me, like I said, this year, every <coughs> year, it's a little different when I read this or learn something or something wakes up in my brain or whatever. Yeah. But, I mean, to me, this year, it's just so totally obvious the presence of God. His hmm. name isn't spoken. No, but I mean, just the way people behave. I mean. Who, I'm not going to walk up to you and say, "Look, Dave, if you do it, you need to do this because I I feel that God wants you to." Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I really have heard from on high that you need to do this. If you don't, you're going to die. You and your family, bye bye. Nice knowing you. I would never say anything to like like that to somebody unless mm-hmm. unless I really felt like God said that's serious business. Sure, well, absolutely. And I would never go into a king. Unaddressed. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, it's just perfectly obvious that right. everything came through prayer. Yeah. Yes, Mr. Dunn. Uh, just a thought, though. Isn't it wonderful that Mordecai loved his niece and took care of her mm-hmm. and said to her, God will take care of this anyway. You have a choice here. And, and we're sitting in Calvinist land here. You know, free will. You have a choice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, did, didn't, I did mention the choice part, didn't I? She didn't have to choose. <laughs> She had death and death. If you don't do this, God will take care of it. It'll get taken care of, but you'll be cursed forever. Your family will die. Yeah. I mean, so you can (laughs) die by going by king. You can die by king, or you can die by, you know, being disobedient. So, you know. Yeah, the king is the easier one. You're right. (laughs) King, you remember me? (laughs) So, you know. I was thinking also uh, of the scripture that my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. In other words, we're supposed to grow in knowledge. Mm-hmm. We don't always know how God is going to use that knowledge. And I think that most of our lives, uh, the Spirit of God works through us and we don't know. Mm-hmm. We're less aware of what He does than what we're aware uh, of know. that He does. Uh, yeah, yeah, he, he does a lot more than what we know. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but uh, if we're supposed to grow in knowledge, we're suppo- we have responsibilities. Yes. And uh, so it's not all, well, the Lord will take care of it, right. you know. Yeah. And so we have, you know, walking with God, and you're right, where you say, Ashrei, blessed mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. the one who walks with God. Uh, we don't know what the blessings. We, it doesn't define right. the details of blessed. Right. But blessed can be that today I touch somebody's lives, uh, life and I don't even know right. that yeah. it was God working through me. Right. It's not as spectacular. That's why I mentioned the miracle part. Yeah. It's not always as, as spectacular as the miracle. It's yeah. you know other stuff. Yeah. I, I think a lot of stuff was inferenced here too, because implied. You mean? Yeah, I mean, it was just like a, you kind of like could fill in a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Because what would Mordecai said to he made the statement to her. I feel like I feel like that came from God mm-hmm. to say something that strong that somebody had to come from God. But I also feel like read between the lines. Maybe she said, 
But Uncle Morty, my life here at the palace, it's so good. Mm. I, you know. Yeah, read between lines, that's what she was saying. It's clearly what she was saying between the lines. You know, yeah. There's a lot that's not here in the book. There's a lot that's not there. You know, again, I, I may have, maybe I said on Shabbat, was, 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 were, things born out of, were things born from a position of fear? I said that towards the end of the book, when people became Jews, remember that? And was that just out of fear and they were nervous and were the Jews, the tide seemed to turn, I should become a Jew all of a sudden? Yeah, but again, is God? can God reach people out of, I mean, God does actually often reach us out of an emotional position, instead of a fear or, or a big excitement, and and I want to flip on the other side, uh, other side of this too, because I don't want to, you know, we're all talking about it's wonderful, and we see God's hand, and we we do things that God tells us, and we grow in knowledge and all this kind of stuff. How about the Haman side of it for a minute? Now, I I was Haman this past you know Sunday. <laughs> we know. Come from a real. This comes from real authority here. Um, <laughs> Look, think about him for a minute. When he, you know, we don't know much about his background when it starts off in chapter three. Um, you know, it talks about his, his lineage, and then just as he was promoted after that. Now, it was right after the story about of Mordecai fo- foiling the the plot to kill the king. Was Haman somehow involved in bringing those two to justice? We don't know. Could have been that. Could be that this was just a guy who was coming up and doing very well, probably very successful. Quite frankly. Um, he leaves, well, let me, let me now, a little bit on that, too. Think about this. We think about Haman. Boo! We all boo Haman, and we, sh- we should boo Haman, right? Um, but I think for us, you know, did he have any other flaws? I mean, this is a big flaw, and I'll talk about the flaw in a moment. Um, but the reality, of, the reality of the story is it, that Esther doesn't tell us about any of the flaws. In fact, all we know about him is he was successful, and he was promoted. He was, a, he was doing well in the world, okay? He was arrogant. Uh, but again, we know that that's the, that's the one thing we know. Now, I'm going to call it a fatal flaw because we do see that when Haman leave, when he has that first meeting with Esther and the king, right, that he leaves on top of the world. He's excited, goes home, brags to his friends. And, and why not? He'd already been doing very well, and he's getting promoted and so forth. But this is the part where I don't want to necessarily... For us, we can all, you can point your finger at him if you want, but I want you to think about it. This is the, the Jewish guilt finger at you just for a moment because I think it's important that all scripture is useful for us, not just the, oh, this is the great place that this, the, the, you know, the God told me to do this and the sackcloth and ashes and the standing up in the right place at the right time and being bold in the face of death. Yes, but is there a bit of Haman in us? Are there any times when we've got everything in the world going for us? We've got ten sons. The Bible says that you know, blessed is the person that's got their quiver full. And it says sons. I believe it means sons and daughters. I have to because i got a bunch of daughters. But I, I believe children are a blessing, period. But the fact is he had ten sons. He had a home. He was promoted. He was doing great. But there was one little thing that bothered him. And, and for me, that really hit me. Uh, not this time, but years ago when I, when I studied this. That really spoke to me in the sense, in the, in the, if I'm honest with myself, that that's me. <laughs> you know? Uh, you may remember I gave an example of my, uh, my my minivan when we got a minivan. It's got this color. I said, you know what color my van is? And someone says white. And I said, no, it's not white because it's an XLE package of uh, Toyota. And so it's Arctic Frost Pearl. It's actually it's actually a premium color. It's not white. My little my other Toyota is white. This one is pearl. And, and so the color is beautiful. And I'm walking by the van one day, and it's this beautiful pearl van, but I noticed a little ding, right? And you know where my eyes go to every time now? <laughs> that one little thing. So my point is that we've got all this wonderful stuff going on in our lives, we, but we tend to look at that one little thing, and that is a fatal flaw. And I don't think this is where we can just point at Haman and say, ah, oh, that's Haman. Yeah, he was arrogant. He had everything in the world, but this one little, this one guy that wouldn't bow down to him, 
became his entire unraveling. And again, I'm not asking for any, any volunteers or hands or admissions as not to come forward and, and, and confess. But I think, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we can see a little bit of that uh, in ourselves as one. It's something we shouldn't overlook, that this is just Haman's problem, and it's not something that's relatable to us in any way. Um, I think the fact is that we really don't get the depth and ugliness of our sin that needs to be blotted out, and that we don't realize... Uh, what we set in motion when we are prideful or when we are also dissatisfied. I don't think we realize just the ripple effect that that can have. Because we can see, certainly, that had a major ripple effect uh, in, in Haman. I mean, you talk about, I mean, you can imagine for, for a minute, by the way, just, I mean, how things, I mean, there's things in your life you want to turn around, I'm sure. But can you, can you imagine just for a moment the reaction of Mordecai? Look at chapter 6, verse 11 uh, for a moment. You're talking about a guy um, that was in sackcloth and ashes a minute ago that was so desperate that, again, he might have been threatening that he was going to kill his own cousin, possibly. Like, you don't think you're going to escape. I mean, it's actually kind of a threatening language that he says to her there um, when he says, go in, to, go in to speak to the king. Maybe you're there for a time and place as this. Don't think for a moment that you will escape. I mean, she was the queen for Pete's sake. You would think she's going to be protected. She probably would have been safe. But he, so was he threatening her? Whatever. That was his situation. And then in chapter 6, verse 11, uh, this is after Haman gives the idea that he would like, or that probably, I'm sorry, that the man that the king wanted to honor would like really a lot, right? Um, he says, then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. I'm sorry, right before that, I apologize, wrong verse. It says, so Haman took the robes and the horse and robbed and robed Mordecai and led him riding through the open square of the city, <laughs> proclaiming, thus shall it be done for the man whom the king wishes to honor. You know, here comes Haman. At Mordecai. You're Mordecai. You don't know this has happened, right? Here comes Haman and Mordecai. The one who knew, Mordecai knew wanted to kill him and his entire family, right? He was fasting. You know, what do you think he was thinking as Haman approached him? <laughs> you know? Was, was that, and, then, and then this happened. And then this happened. Can you imagine, can you imagine the absolute shock of, of, of Mordecai there, you know? Was that unexpected? It kind of reminded me of the, the Acts 3 healing, you know? They were wanting one thing, and something else happened completely different, yet better. Mordecai was just hoping to be spared, yeah. let alone being robed and prayed around the city. I mean, do you think he was like, just hopped right on and trusted him? You know? It kind of reminds me a little bit now that you're talking about it, when um, <coughs> Jacob came to Esau. Yeah. And he was so scared, he, you know, <coughs> feared the worst and set all these droves ahead of him. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's just, it's just amazing. Um well, the script said he couldn't speak. That was what my line said. It said you can't speak red in the face. Oh, if you knew, if you knew ahead of time. If you knew oh, ahead of time. Yeah. I have nothing. He's all you. Know, give him a dollar. Yeah. Well, it, it really brings to life that scripture: "The Lord sets a table for us in the midst of our enemies." Yeah, exactly. Well, there's something kind of interesting here. I was reading, <clears throat> and it says, um, "This is." It talks about. Haman goes and speaks to his wife, Zeresh, yeah. and oh. he recounts and all his friends and everything that had happened to him. Right. And um, his advisors and his wife said to him, since Mordecai before whom you have begun your downfall right. is of Jewish descent, right. you won't be able to stand again. Another, exactly, another possible you know, evidence. There's a, few, there's a bunch of them. I can kind of uh, bullet point them real quick for you. There's more that I probably wouldn't even... We've talked some. We've talked about. And there's some like that that I probably wouldn't have. That I remember, but I wouldn't have mentioned. Um, 
but I do believe it is one. You've got the fasting. You've got the Mordecai's refusal to bow. You've got the uncovering of the plot. You've got Esther being chosen. You've got the king's sleepless nights. You've got the, the fact that the story that was read out of all the chronicles of the king, it was this particular story. And the fact that Haman was the one in the, in the, um, in the, in the court that morning. Um, just Vashti being, we don't know about Vashti, why she, she, what, what her reason was, what her history was, but if she hadn't been deposed, this whole thing wouldn't have even taken place to begin with. But there's two things, there's two other ones. Um, we talk about the manner in which Mordecai lamented, the, the delay in the plot. Remember Mordecai rolled the dice. Now, it was, a, it was 11 months in the future, and all this took place within like the first six weeks. They weren't procrastinating. Don't procrastinate, right? So there wasn't. What if it? Had, what if it had come up, rolled up, you know, snake eyes, and it was going to be tomorrow? You know what I mean? Yeah. The second or something like that. But no, it was eleven months in the future. There was plenty of time to to, to, to do you know to do all that stuff. Um, two 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 little little looked at things as evidence. One is actually what Diane said. I think that that's one the the thing about these are the Jews. Um, but one is the the way that this 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 festival is instituted. In fact, this is towards the end of the chapter. You know, it talks about this is what you're going to do. Um, that if you look at chapter nine, verse twenty, or actually twenty-one, basically wrote letters to the to the Jews in all the provinces, enjoining them that they should keep the fourteenth day of the month of Adar and also the fifteenth day of the same year, year by year, as the days on which the Jews uh, uh, got relief from their enemies, um, feasting and gladness and so forth. Verse 23 says, So the Jews adopted as a custom what they had begun to do as Mordecai had written to them. This is kind of the, the pattern of what we see like in Levit- the Levitical feast, Leviticus 23, the way these feasts are instituted. So again, very very biblical kind of pattern there. Um, and then I mentioned not touching the, the plunder and the spoil. That's often overlooked as, uh, as one of the sort of evidences and so forth. I want to read a couple of conclusions uh, for you here because um, we're just about out of time. But when we read this story, or even other stories in the Bible, where we situ- see situations that look uh, sticky, or situations that there's going to be a close call, how do we react when we're reading these in the Bible? Well, we read about Yeshua getting delayed, for instance, when he goes to uh, Jairus' daughter is dying, right? Or Lazarus is dying. We see that he gets delayed. And if only Yeshua had come sooner, or if he had come earlier, uh, they, wouldn't have, they wouldn't have died, and so forth, right? Um, we don't, we don't side with the characters in the book, in those stories, and say, yeah, if only Yeshua would have come earlier, right? No, we don't, we don't do that. We realize that God knows what he's doing, that Yeshua didn't, didn't uh, get sidetracked, and then we read about the miracles, right? Well, he raised him from the dead, and this, this happened. He came, take off the, unwrap the, the, death, the grave clothes, right? If that's how we react when we read the scriptures, because I believe we all read them that way, um, then why do we, and maybe we don't, maybe I'm not talking to anybody in this room, but why do we live our lives differently? Why is it that when things seem very topsy-turvy for us and our immediate focus um, is on ourselves and our situation, or worse yet, where is God, you know? Why do we read, it, why do we read our own lives that way? Um, I would pray that we would read our lives in that same way we read the Bible, that they would match the way we read the Bible. That The fact being that our first assumption would be that God is not on holiday, that he is involved, and he hasn't just sort of set things in motion in the world and step back and that he, if only it would have happened this way, if only it would have happened that way, but that we read it the same way you read it as, you know, when we know the end of the story. We know that, that Yeshua didn't just get delayed, but he's going to raise him from the dead and it's going to be okay. Um, and remember this, in the book of Esther, the whole setting, no one necessarily is being indicted or accused of having screwed up in some way. 
And that's why they're in this situation. In fact, historically, um, they were in this state of exile because of other people's screw-ups. This is not to pass the blame or to say, to say it was other people's screw-ups. But we can very easily, the point is, we can very easily find ourselves in the same situation. You could be suffering from decisions that maybe you made. You could find yourself suffering from decisions that maybe you didn't make, things that sort of seem outside of your circumstance, and you have a choice. You can say, this happened to me, or this is because of this in my background, and so forth. But the fact is, you really do have a choice to make in those situations. And the choices are you can try to you know, unravel all the pieces of the puzzle there, and you can try to uh, decide if God's ticked off with you. Um, you can decide, you know, what is it I need to fix? What is it I need to do? And again, there is a piece of that with regard to, when I was saying, we need to increase in knowledge and work on our skills and so forth. Or you can trust God. So, I'll take one. We're two minutes over, but I'll take, you have a, you have a, oh, Go ahead. If you don't have time, that's fine. Well, I, mean, I was just going to say my, really quick yeah. that I think that I, I think the other lesson in this, though, is that we can overcome. We are overcomers. We can reach out in, in faith mm. and in courage. Mm. I mean, things were hard, yeah, in this chapter. But, you know, ultimately, what? People, you're alive, Dave. <laughs> I'm alive. That's right, yeah. Dr. Delay, would you mind closing us in prayer? Yeah. Well, Father, thank you for your word. Things. And we pray this mission in Yeshua, Hamashiach, in Jesus' name. Amen.